You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Were you lied to when buying a timeshare and want out? Get the facts about timeshare cancellation. Call Wesley now for your free information kit. 800-885-4884. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by... Brendan, and we are coming to you. You are hearing this on Tuesday morning, October 22nd. Tonight is the beginning of the 2019 World Series, which will feature the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros. So that is obviously the culmination of the 2019 baseball season, which means we get some hopefully exciting World Series games to watch. And it also means that we are at a maximum of seven games from the real true offseason where everybody is done playing baseball and things can start 
happening. And Brendan, we find ourselves, I, 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 and I'm sure all of you listening are hoping for this as well, but we were really hopeful, especially since we moved to recording on Monday nights, uh, just for th- while the playoffs are going on or parts of this offseason. We were really hoping that the Cubs would have chosen their manager by now, uh, because I'm sure, Brendan, that we are going to record one of these episodes where we say they don't have a manager, and the next morning, they are going to announce the manager, so you guys are all listening to an episode that doesn't make any sense. Uh, So if that happens tomorrow, I don't think it can happen while the World Series is going on, so I think we're safe for now, Uh, but if it does... We'll Sorry. get back on immediately. Just yeah. ignore <laughs> if it doesn't make any sense. We'll get back on. We'll talk to you, and we'll we'll update on what happens. Trust me, we are uh, as as the Cubs manager search is basically the only thing for Brendan and I to do with our lives at this current juncture. Uh, we're on top of it, so we will get back to you as quickly as possible. But Brendan, we'll talk about that a little more and where we are in that search. We'll we'll talk about. Anything going on with the Cubs in this particular offseason, but I think you guys know us well enough that we will take any excuse to reminisce about, I guess what you could call them now, the good old days of the Chicago Cubs and normally you're going to end up in 2016, right? And this isn't really a loose excuse today. This is a pretty obvious one, and I'm going to take it per usual. But October 22nd, Brendan, that is an important day in Cubs history. And if you'll all jump in the time machine with me very quickly, we'll go back to October 22nd, 2016. It's Kyle Hendricks, on the mound at Wrigley Field. It's Clayton Kershaw opposing him for the visiting Los Angeles Dodgers. The Cubs taking a 3-2 to two lead into a cold, crisp October night at Wrigley Field. And in the bottom of the first inning, I always say this, the game was already over. Chris Bryant sprays a ball down the right field line to score. Dexter Fowler, the Cubs take a one to nothing lead, and you can bet that that is all Kyle M. F. and Hendricks would need that evening. The Cubs would win this game five to nothing. We get iconic shots of Clayton Kershaw <laughs> hunched over after giving up a home run to Anthony Rizzo. Wilson Contreras takes him deep, and it all ends with a double play ball, short to second to first. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, the Chicago Cubs head to the World Series, winning the National League, winning the pennant, and erasing a lot of bad, bad memories. Brendan, today, Tuesday, we're recording this on Monday night, but today, Tuesday, the 22nd, is the anniversary of the Cubs winning the pennant over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Man, three years ago. Three years ago. To be honest with you, it feels as if it was longer. You know, three years is not that long of a time, but I remember so vividly. I I lived in downtown Los Angeles at that time. I was not watching the games in Los Angeles bars. I'm not going to do that to myself. But the moment they won that game, Corey, what, what did I do? You know me well enough. Leave my apartment, meet up with some friends, wearing not too many Cubs uh, paraphernalia, but enough to, to be a little bit recognized. And I got to say, the amount of Chicago Cubs fans, Corey, walking the streets of downtown Los Angeles, going to bars, pubs, wherever, 
was astonishing. Corey, I'm giving hugs to strangers I've never met. Literally going up to them, hey, congratulations, giving me hugs. Swear to God, at least five, more than five people. Uh, this sharing that moment together, sharing stories about families, grandparents never having experienced this type of World Series feeling. And that's what the beauty of this Cubs fandom is, right? Like even in Los Angeles, the scum of the United States, the worst fans in baseball, there are so many different Cubs fans spread throughout that no matter where you go, even in a place like Los Angeles, you're going to find people who share the same passion as you. So that was, you know, next to the World Series winning, of course, that was one of the most, that, that is the most memorable experience, I think, because the anticipation of playing in a World Series is very different than winning a World Series. Both, of course, amazing, but expecting in a few days that your team will be wearing a World Series logo on the side of your jersey, on the side of your hat, was incredible. And for the first time in our lives to have experienced that, something I'll never forget. Yeah, and and I think that we all, and obviously some of you are of, of different age, as I always say, Brendan and I are in our late 20s. So we certainly, as I think most of you, had not ever even experienced the Cubs going to the World Series. Obviously, that had happened sooner than 1908, but still a very long time ago for most of us. Most uh, of the population never experienced that, though, too. You know, right. Unless you're like seven, you know, whatever, right. 80 years old. So I think that night might have felt a little different if we had all lived through them going to the World Series, you know, say in yeah. like 2003 or something, right, and losing because the, 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 that night was so significant because the pennant itself was still such a massive hurdle. It, it, yeah. it felt almost equal in in a sense, like it, it, they, they were almost on par somehow where it was like winning the World Series is obviously the goal, but like I want to get there too. Like we don't it's even like know what almost, that feels like. Yeah, it's like you almost assume if you get to the World Series, you're going to win it. You like, kind at of, least, right? Yeah, yeah. even though like, it, it felt like that big of a hurdle. Uh, right. And so that, yeah, like you said, also as a, as a brief aside, when you said, uh, what do you think the first thing I did after that? You know me well enough. I my second guess was going to be running out in the streets of LA to flaunt your Cubs fandom. My first guess was going to be checking Kyle Hendricks release point from that night, but I, <laughs> I guess you saved that for the next morning. But no, uh, Brooks baseball will not update that. Fast, <laughs> oh, but. so you couldn't. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, but that night was very special. And I, and I'm not too proud to admit that that was the first of only really two evenings in, in that run that I, I did manage to shed a tear. Uh, but that, Winning the pennant was was night number one, uh, and it was just a special evening at Wrigley Field. I, I think that night in particular is one of the ones I talk about in, in my personal life and also on this podcast more than anything else because it was unlike any other night I've been at Wrigley Field. I've had the fortune and misfortune of, of being at a lot of Cubs games. I've been very fortunate in my life to attend a lot of Cubs games, a lot of big Cubs games. And given the age range that, that I fall in, a lot of that has been bad. Uh, 
I watched the Cubs lose Game 7 in 2003 at Wrigley Field. I watched the Cubs lose two games to the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2007 in the first round. I watched them get eliminated by the Dodgers in 2008. Uh, I sat through them getting eliminated by the Mets in 2015, yada, 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 right? And that including all the other bad baseball they were playing in those other years. That was the one night at Wrigley Field where the minute Dexter Fowler scored to make it one to nothing, everybody knew it was over. And I've never felt that at Wrigley Field before in my life. Maybe Why we'll do you feel think that again. is, though? Because I, 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 I felt I, the same way. I just way. think that that was the team. I, I And obviously it was the team. In hindsight, it's very easy to say that. But the way that 2015 went and the lead into 2016 with, with Fowler coming back, the additions of Hayward, Zobrist, etc., and that team just looking like they were going to get it done from the minute they started in Anaheim that year, I think that that night just had a different feel. Uh, yeah. it, it just had the feel of this is finally the night. And 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 maybe I, I don't even know why that was, but I know the feeling in that ballpark. I've talked to other people that were there. If you were there and agree or disagree, let, let me know. But everyone I've talked to always says like, there was such a, a ringing of optimism through that stadium the minute they took the lead. And I, I'm not sure. I, I think it was just that team. I, I think that that was the group where you just felt confident that they were going to be the ones to get it done. And uh, yeah. obviously, as that game plays out and, and Hendricks is doing his thing, the Cubs are tacking on more runs against Kershaw. It just started to build. It was really a... a you know, however long, three, four hour long party for, for the entire night, because it just felt like all we were doing was building to that eventual moment. And it, it was such a strange thing, because even up five to nothing in, in the ninth inning, throughout my entire life, I would have thought that in that moment, I would still be terrified, right? That they were going to figure out a way to mess it up or or something. And I just wasn't. It, it just was a matter of time until they were going to win. And it just felt like everybody knew it. And so it was a very special night at, at, at Wrigley Field. And I, I've said this to people before, but there is something really poetic. If you go back and you pull up, if you can muster it, I, at this point, it doesn't really bother me anymore. But if you can handle watching the botched double play by Alex Gonzalez in 2003, <laughs> watch that either side-by-side or directly preceding watching the double play ball that is hit to Addison Russell on that particular night, they're very similar. And Wasn't there a moment, too, like I think in the eighth inning, seventh inning, when Hayward jumped over the the brick in right field? I don't remember, but that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say the fifth inning or so. But but. like both double play balls are hard hit. They bounce to to the shortstop's chest. Right, they yeah. they make a very similar turn. It's not exactly the same play, but just seeing it go to Russell's chest of all places, right where he's got to pick it and turn it like that. Something very poetic about the fact that it all comes together. They win the pennant this time on turning that damn that double play, play. right? <laughs> and right. it was just a very special evening. And you know, Brendan and I were just discussing kind of before we jumped on, but. That was one of those nights where I, I went down. Uh, if you stayed in Wrigley Field, you know they let you down to go behind the dugout and just sort of stand there while they were all celebrating on the field. 
and it was absolute chaos outside, which we didn't know really inside, I assumed, obviously, but they're not showing us that. But there, you know, there's sort of rumblings going around that if you stuck around for a certain amount of time, you were kind of stuck in Wrigley Field for a while because Clark and Addison, Sheffield, Waveland were all just a sea of humanity with cops trying to control it all and not let the scene get out of control. So we were in Wrigley Field for, I think, a couple hours just screaming at the players and watching them celebrate. And just like you said, like you were doing it in LA, we were doing it in Wrigley Field. And I think it was a very similar thing, I imagine, for all of us around the country, that it was just a a moment of joy and sharing that feeling with a bunch of people you don't know, but because of this connection that you all have, you do kind of know. You're, you're, yeah. You may relate to a bunch of strangers on this particular thing more than you do your closest friends and family because it's it's a it's a very particular feeling. So uh, I, I I don't you know I mean we could wax poetic about this particular night and this particular game for hours, uh, but it it just. We're definitely, on the actual anniversary, we're definitely taking an opportunity to talk about that. And it, it comes up a lot, especially on, on Cubs Twitter. But Kyle Hendricks was so good in that game. It it really might be the best Cubs pitching performance ever, uh, just given the significance and, and yeah. the, the way that he performs against that Dodgers offense, which was not necessarily, I don't think, as good as we've seen them in 2017 or 2018. They made some player changes, but still a very good offense for that Dodgers team at the time. And he was dominant. And I, and I just shared this on Twitter the other day, but I will never forget that image of Joe going to get him. First of all, the murmur from the crowd. The crowd obviously wanted Hendricks to just take that down, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. But Javi grabbing Hendrick's jersey, jersey and kind of, yeah. you know, shaking it like to cool him off. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you killed it tonight. You're too hot, Kyle, right? And yeah. I love that so much just because it's it's just such a perfect Javi moment. And, and given the, the grandeur of the moment, it's great. But one of my favorite parts about that is immediately Hendricks reaches to readjust his jersey. There's something so <laughs> funny about that. Like even He's in, in a the moment zone like still, that, man. right? Yeah. Even in a moment like that, Kyle can't like let Javi fool around. He's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. You know, like I gotta fix this. But like you couldn't even tell if that were a May night game, and he yeah, just gave right, up five right. runs, or if he just pitched the best game of his life to go to the World Series. That's what's so great about Kyle. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I mean, like I said, we could go on about that for a, a while, uh, and I'm, I, you know, I'm sure you guys wouldn't really complain. But it was, it was just a very, a very special night, and I think, like you said, Brendan, like short of of Game Seven of the World Series, which is what we're all here for, right, to win the whole damn thing. That was pretty much night number one of that experience uh, amongst some really good candidates. But I think the the difference just between that and Game 7 was Game 7 was the worst I've ever felt for about, you know, what, five hours or whatever it is, and then the best (laughs) I've ever felt after that. But Game 6 of the NLCS that year was, like I said, just a, a, a real party from the minute that that bottom of the first got going. And like you said, like you were thinking like, okay, in a couple of hours or after this game, like the Cubs jersey might have a World Series patch on it. I remember walking out of my apartment before that game and looking at the like sheet of the playoff tickets that I had. They were still doing physical tickets back in 2016. It, dating myself by telling a story <laughs> like that, right? Because they don't use physical tickets anymore. But 
I remember looking at they they send it all at once uh, when you you get the the playoff package. They they all come at once, whether the the Cubs advance to those rounds or not. And I remember right before I left the house, looking at the the four or, or the World Series tickets, and just thinking to myself, like I really hope these are real when I get back to this house in in several hours. I hope that these tickets are real and have value because at the moment they're they're you know potential if necessary right and uh I remember getting home at who knows what time after being in Wrigley Field for that long uh and you know really having a moment there looking at those tickets and being these are real world series tickets that's going to happen at Wrigley Field that the Cubs are going to play in uh and it was pretty fantastic Brendan but uh I don't know if you have any final thoughts on, on Game 6 of the 2016 NLCS or if we should move on and, and uh, get back to reality here and bite the bullet and talk about the 2019 Cubs or where they're at. <laughs> Real I mean, juxtaposition look, of, uh, the, of the feel-good vibes uh, about that, but yeah. Yeah, you go from the, the peak of that, area, of that era down to the worst. But right. uh, no, my, my last thought is I'm thankful that it was at Wrigley Field. Um, just... My my lasting image of that win is Rizzo catching that ball, but he immediately raises and leans back with both arms like widespread in the air. And, you know, the camera kind of pans away. You see everyone, of course, rushing the field from the dugout, but the fans as well. And you see fans crying around on TV. I mean, multiple fans and multiple generations from, you know, teens to late maybe 70s or 80s. And that is what made that experience so transformative was sharing something that so many generations understood. And it got, that that win did cross generations, I think. And I know it's sports. I know it's baseball. And it's silly, but that's that's the reality, man. And like just to close off my final thoughts... When you can go on a street and your first reaction is to embrace someone, like that's right. that's the beauty about sports. And teams, for example, like the Arizona Diamondbacks or the Miami Marlins or these relatively new teams, they're not going to have that culture, dude, ever. Like they will never have that generational culture the way that we do the way that Boston Red Sox fans do, the way that so many older teams do. And I do want, and I, I remind myself too, not to take that for granted, even though it sucks to lose. And talking about this team right now and all their shortfalls is going to suck. But there will be a time again when the Cubs are good. But at the very least, even in right now with all the, the crappiness going on, we do have 2016 we, we do, we always will have that moment because that is going to be, it will be the pinnacle of our fandom lives. It just will. No other World Series will come close to that. We'll feel good, don't get me wrong, but that, that World Series, Corey, was everything, everything that I hoped would happen and would experience growing up, and I could not be more grateful for that. Absolutely. Uh, I remember finishing that evening similar to how I finished uh, after the Cubs won Game 7 of the World Series, and that was to go home and listen to how it came out from Pat Hughes' mouth, which is, those were two calls that I can't tell you guys how many times I imagined what it would sound like when he said that the Cubs won the World, or were, well, won the World Series, but also were going to the World Series. Uh, And just to 
to hear him say that and hear him say that the Cubs had won the pennant uh, yeah. was very surreal. And I, I, I need to send you this video. I don't think I, I don't think you've seen this. It's from Matt Spiegel's Twitter account, but he's behind Pat and Ron, and he's filming like mm. Game Seven's winning call. I, I I just saw this for the first time a few weeks ago, and you see Pat give the call. But th- this is the best part about Pat Hughes. As he's doing the call, Corey, he's like pointing for the next like script to like read off something, right? Like he's still maintaining maintaining that professionalism. Ever the professional, yeah. Uh, forever. And then, like, Corey, while he's doing this, he's fist pumping people. I, I, you got to go see this video. It just defines who Pat Hughes is. Never waste an opportunity. And that call too, you can tell like he recognizes the the nature of that call, how overwhelming it is. And you can kind of sense that in his first few words, but he nailed it, man. Like that was everything that you thought would happen from a Pat Hughes call. And well, I got I got to send you that video. Well, and and not just, you know, that he knew how much it it, it meant for for baseball and for the Cubs and and for all of us, but how much it meant for him. He's been with this organization yeah. for a long time and in the lead into that, he, he's talking about the the 7th inning stretch uh and I I believe it was Scotty Pippen. But he's he's talking about how he mentioned guys like Ron Santo and Ernie Banks and and some of the the people that were no longer with us and you you know that that Pat probably dreamed of making that call with Ron Santo a lot and every time I hear yeah. him call the pennant or the Cubs winning the World Series I always think about that and and how good those calls were and how just much. Pat Hughes must be thinking about in in those right. moments and and to still give us those calls and 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 those moments but yeah uh anyway uh so the the short version of this uh first 20 minutes of this podcast is game 6 of the 2016 NLCS good yeah that good. that's how I would would sum that up uh, it was a pretty nice time for all of us but they beat the Dodgers too so you know cherry on top yes, of the cupcake there yeah. yes uh, yes, of course. But I, yeah. with that, it's probably about time we, we get that gut punch of reality and hop back into where the Cubs are now. And where they are <laughs> is they still don't have a manager, Brendan. But it does seem, and, and this is not for sure, though, though it is the rumblings of some of the beat writers, and it, it does appear that things have been narrowed down to potentially two candidates. And again, there, there's no official word on this. You're not going to get an official word on this. We have not heard that certain candidates are for sure out or out of the running, etc. But the language around the Chicago Cubs right now appears to be that this is going to come down to David Ross and Houston Astros bench coach Joe Espada. That is just the the language that is coming from pretty much every direction, uh, nationally, locally, and it just seems to be where things are headed. Joe Espada, after the Astros won their respective pennant uh, for the American League over the Yankees this weekend, came back to Chicago for a second interview. So obviously the Cubs are serious about this. Now, is that a sign of how serious they are in the discussions? Is that a sign that perhaps they just didn't get that much time with him the first time because uh, he's in the middle of the playoffs? We're not really sure, 
but it, it's it's obviously significant that he was asked back for a second interview. That coming after the first interview where we heard after the fact that it went really well and the Cubs were really impressed with him and that this was something to watch because of how well that interview went. So this is all pretty noteworthy. Uh, so we've discussed both of these guys and and some of their merits. So I don't know that we're going to necessarily break that down. If they hire one of them, we'll talk about them exhaustively. I can assure you of that. But Brendan, I, I guess my question is, are you, do, do you have any thoughts about this seeming like it's the final two? Because we, we really just aren't hearing much about any of these other names. And the way that it's being written and talked about seems like it's coming to either they're going to wait for the World Series to be over to hire Joe Espada, or they've had their last discussion with him and they're biding their time until they make Ross uh, their official manager. Do you have any thoughts on it being these two? Have you changed in preference? Where where are you with uh, Manager Watch 2019? It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. It seemed inevitable that it would come down to Ross or Espada. I don't have a strong preference as to which guy I'd rather have. I think right now... My mind like tells me Espada, you look at that resume, multiple years of front office experience, Coach Tavi in the Puerto Rican World Baseball Classic has been with some great organizations, great managers, has coached in the low A class in, in minor leagues. The resume is so eye-popping. So my mind says Espada, my, my heart says David Ross though, right? Like, to a degree, I am curious to see how that type of relationship would play out. And reading about both of these guys, you're sure to come across so many different stories. But one of my favorite stories about David Ross in this front office was that from like almost a decade ago, where Ross was invited in to a pre-series strategy session with uh, the catchers, the pitching coach, some front office executives, scouts, etc., And Ross being the third guy in there was unusual because most of the time you don't have your third catcher in these types of meetings or so we're told. And Ross's uh, authoritarian type nature, his ability to articulate what he thinks is most important stood out to Theo Epstein. But not that. When when Ross left that meeting and eventually finished his time up uh, with Theo's team, Theo went up to him in the locker room the day after the season was over. And he he told Ross, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm hearing that people think you're a bad teammate from the Cincinnati Reds, that you're selfish, you're a bad teammate. And my experience with you was nothing like that. But I want you to know that because it's doing you a disservice if you don't end up changing. And so that, Corey, that was 10 
years ago. And think about where those two have been over the past 10 years. They've been in Boston. They teamed back up in, in Chicago with the Cubs, of course. Think about what Ross meant to that era of Cubs baseball. So there's this pre-established trust, this pre-established effective communication that on paper you don't see. Like that's not going to come up for most managerial candidates. And I've seen people think, oh, that's probably a negative, right? Like if it were not for this relationship between Theo and David Ross, would he seriously be considered a candidate? And the reality is probably not. But at the same time, because they have that established connection, their ability to freely exchange ideas, to trust each other's opinions, but most importantly, to adapt where Theo says, Ross, hey, you need a change. What did Ross do? 10 years later, he writes a book uh, titled The Teammate. He's being interviewed by the Cubs for their manager position. That suggests these two guys can communicate. They can work together. And so if it ends up being Ross, I will be ecstatic. If it ends up being Espada, I will be ecstatic. You cannot go wrong either way. What I, I think what a spot is going to bring that Ross won't bring is just a diverse resume, really. Like he has so many different experiences that Ross doesn't have. Now, which of those portfolios is going to make the most sense for this team? I have no idea. And does a spot coming back for a second interview signal that Ross is maybe not the favorite anymore? Look, I have no idea either. I don't know what the standard is for manager interviews these days. I've been reading around. We're seeing that other guys are being invited back for second interviews from other teams. So maybe this is the standard. And Espada is being interviewed by the Pirates, I believe, by the the Phillies as well. And so we're not going to hear about decision until the World Series is over. I don't think Espada coming back for a second interview is going to throw Ross away. I think it's standard practice. And I think Ross, I genuinely believe Ross is still the favorite candidate. We'll see how it all plays out and how the second interview went. But point being, if it's Ross, I'm ecstatic. If it's Espada, I'm ecstatic. I'm just glad that it has come down to these two guys. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in lockstep there, not surprisingly. Uh, I think that these are two very good candidates, and I think that that's pretty much all you can ask for because at the end of the day, I I think that the Cubs' success going forward is going to rely and depend on a lot more than who the manager is. I would say that the manager is pretty low on the list of things that— need to happen with this organization for them to get back to where they want to be in 2020. It doesn't mean that it's an insignificant choice. Of course not. But I I, I don't think that that's priority number one. I think the roster, like the, the players, is more important than who the manager is. But I think that when you're in a process like this, all you can ask is that they end up with someone who you think is a good candidate and who you think is is bringing something new and good and insightful to the table. And I think that they are, if these indeed are the final two or the last two, I, I think that they've landed on that in in either way. And like you said, they're very different candidates. And it, it is hard to get a read on exactly which is better for this group right now, obviously, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the Cubs making some front office changes. They're, they're going to have, I think, some philosophy changes and, and the way that they go about things at an organizational level. So how does that impact what you're doing with your new manager and other, other stuff? But I think that the key difference between these two is, like you said, Joe Espada is coming in with, he's 
I think, more traditionally that next man up type of new manager, right? Like he has all the experience. He's coached at different levels. He's coached in the World Baseball Classic. He's been a base coach. He's been a bench coach, etc., right? He's been a special assistant to Brian Cashman. He's worked with you know, to, you know, just in working with the Yankees and the Astros uh, over the last several years, you're talking about working with some of the top organizations in the league. And, you know, someone who's been a coach for a long time and at different levels of baseball. Ross is kind of that newer age, you know, next man up manager, which is basically identifying someone who you think has the brains for it, the personal skills, the people skills for it, and, you know, kind of like with Aaron Boone, right? Like jumping them into that role just because you believe they're the person to do it. So Exceptional communication skills, broadcasting experience because of that. Poise, et cetera, right? No doubt. Yeah. So I think that they are different in that regard, and I I think you could make an argument for either being an advantage, right? Like I think obviously – Espada having the experience that he does is an advantage in that way and 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 somewhat of a risk mitigation to a degree. Ross has not done this before. He's not done a lot of different coaching things at, at in, in baseball at all. Uh, and Espada's done them at different levels, with different organizations, different mindsets, etc. So that that's obviously somewhat of an advantage. Uh, but there's also the transition period that I think you might have. He doesn't know this Cubs organization. And like you were talking about, Brendan, there's probably few people on earth that know this Cubs organization as well as David Ross does at this particular juncture in time. And there I are don't... some fans who think that's a con or yeah, not I like don't a con to the con. process, but more like that's not going to fix some of the problems that's persisted, even dating back to Ross's playing days yeah, with his I, team. I think you and I kind of just disagree uh, with that notion. I think you and I agree on that together. No, yeah. You but, and I are uh, on the same page yeah, no, I, I don't think that stuff is a negative. I, I think that, and, and especially look, like you do have to keep in mind, like this team wants to compete. They're going to want to compete in six months. Like this, this isn't a like put off period for the team. So being able to have someone come in that, that kind of knows the deal, right? And, and maybe can lessen that transition, especially just in building relationships with some of these players, right? Which is something that any new manager and coach has to do. I, I do think that's definitely a pro. And I definitely think that's an advantage for Ross. Like you're going to try to be competing at the highest level in six months when this season starts again. Like that's a quick turnaround. And and so sometimes there may be an advantage to somebody who can come in and say, okay, I don't need to spend all this time developing a relationship with Anthony Rizzo, developing a relationship with Chris Bryant and John Lester, etc. I know these guys. Let's get to work and let, let me take a look at what's different since I've been around here and what I think is wrong, right? So yeah. I, I, I think, again, it's it's tough. We don't know the exact player group that's going to be coming in. We don't know you know exactly everything that's going to change with this organization at the different levels. So it's hard to say who may be the better fit, but I, I, I do think that they've landed on from what we've read and, and from what who who was available to them, interested in talking to them, available at all, etc., I think they've landed on the two best candidates, in, in my opinion. I think they're talking to the two best people that they could possibly be talking to uh, for this job, and I will 
not be disappointed either way. I think, like you said, I mean, my my genuine sentiment, when we hear who it is, if it's one of these two, I'm going to be excited. And obviously— Do you have a preference, though? I mean, like, I'm going to say it right now. I think—and I, I hate saying this. I, I will be somewhat sad. You and I are going to agree on this. Yeah, yeah I think I think I'd rather have a spot at it. And I, lo- I love David yeah. Ross. I really do. It's this is, this is a very difficult decision even for me to make. But I just—I— in principle, operate under the mindset that bringing in a, a, a very diverse set of opinions and perspectives ultimately is a good thing yeah. in in these sorts of settings. I think that's what Espada has. I don't think Ross, I think he's very skilled. I just don't think he has that to the degree Espada does. Yeah, I think you and I are in agreement on that. Again, like I, I can't make this clear enough. I think they're both great choices. I'm going to be really pumped either way. But I think it's almost one of those things where if if Espada wasn't available or he wasn't interested, whatever, you'd be like, oh yeah, like let's do David Ross. I think this is great. Like let's try yeah. this out. I, I think this is a worthwhile exercise. But the more that I've read about Espada and the more that I've heard about it, it's it's tough to not kind of be pretty interested there. And I, and I think, right. again, just the range of experience that he's had, um, you know, he he's really earned this opportunity and, and shown that he deserves it. And I think, again, like working with Cashman and the Yankees and then going to be a, a coach with this Houston Astros team and what they're doing and the just so much of what has gone on in Houston is stuff that you're going to want to see in Chicago, like dealing with big games, dealing with bringing up young players and getting them to perform at the highest level, bringing in top tier trade people and free agent people and getting them to perform under the the, the bigger microscope and, and in the bigger settings and stuff. And, and just the way that the Astros seem to be operating at, at a higher level than most organizations, you, you know, you it's hard to not kind of want some of that insight and, and secret sauce, if you will, to be taken over to your organization. But I, again, I'm going I'm to be happy either way. Uh, I said from the beginning that basically anybody but Joe Girardi and they can do whatever they want. ABG. Uh, and I am, I think that we're doing better than that. I, I think that these two candidates are great. I think these are great candidates. I don't no think they can really make a wrong decision. Uh, and I think that's a lot better than just saying anybody but Joe Girardi. Like, I don't think they're going with a middle of the road, like, eh, whatever, higher. I think these two guys are great. And I, and I would be very confident in their ability to lead the Cubs into whatever this next phase of this process holds for us. So, again, we will be on top of this if they announce uh, a new manager Tuesday evening, we'll talk to you as quickly as we can, and we will break this down. Uh, they will not, like, announce it literally in the middle of the World Series, but uh, we'll be ready to to break it down. So as soon as that happens, you can expect us to break it down with you. But yeah, I, I think if it indeed, again, it's not official that it's come down to these two, but it certainly seems that way. It's definitely a where there is smoke, there is fire situation. Uh, I would be thrilled with either of these guys. I think they boiled it down to the best two candidates that are available to them. Uh, so with that, Brendan, I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the front office changes that we've seen. And they're not exactly the changes that we were asking for. Uh, I've yet to see anybody fired, and far be it from me to—I'm <laughs> not, like, out here, like, trying to 
prevent people from feeding their family or anything like that. But we need some change here. We need people to be accountable for what's going on and, you know, not ever firing anybody and saying, hey, this isn't good enough. We're sorry about that. Doesn't really send that message. But the Cubs have moved a lot of guys around. There there are uh, some, some big names, too, uh, that had certain authority and, and certain power and uh, kind of that they were that final stop in certain areas of this organization for a good while that are not there anymore. Uh, we've got some some guys being promoted, some new roles being laid out. And at the very least, Brendan, and I'm going to throw it to you in a second here to maybe break down these specific changes, uh, but at the very least, there is change. And there there does seem to be an understanding of whatever we were doing was not working. Whatever structure was in place, whatever roles we had was not cutting it. So we need to add, move things around, subtract, etc. So at the very least, stuff is happening in that regard. Um, so I'll, I'll take it for now, but but are there are there any of these specific changes that you wanted to point out in particular that you're pleased with, and anything like that? There is a level of distrust when we're just moving people away. But the folks who were promoted, they were previously hired as special assistants or as consultants, individuals with quite literally the lowest authority. In, in a front office. So Justin Stone, for example, right, hired as a consultant before the 2018 season, started, founded a company called Elite Baseball Training, one of the more popular training uh, baseball facilities in the country, and a local Chicago-based guy who's appreciated what the has done over the years. But Stone, in particular, represents what we as fans hoped would change. And we see it happening with the Dodgers. We see it happening with the Astros across baseball, right? Like the the driveline type philosophy where you take all of this new technology, all of these sensors, all of these radars, all of these whatever, all of these biokinesiologists, put them together and you try to unearth and maximize every single player's potential by developing an individualized plan for them. That's what Justin Stone has the experience of doing. And so he's, his, his work is all over YouTube. So I'm going to do a disservice even trying to explain it. But from day one, Corey, he's already in the Dominican Republic working with teenagers. Okay, That is change. And he's already talked about creating the infrastructure where you have all of this technology available. So you can go in... You can see all of your mechanical deficiencies, all of your muscular deficiencies. You can have quite literally a personalized approach to hit the ball the hardest, hit the ball at the most optimal launch angle. And there is one quote in particular that really, I think, captures his philosophy. And we we talk about exit velocity all the time, and max exit velocity is so important, but I think for me, even the frequency of that exit velocity, of that max exit velocity, is something that's not mentioned a lot. Like, it's great if you can smack the ball 115 miles per hour, but if you can only do that on fastballs low and away, 
then you're going to get beat up and in by fastballs. And we saw that with guys like David Bodie last year. And we saw, in particular, this entire major league team have deficiencies on breaking pitches low and outside and fastballs up and in. I mean, Sahad of Sharma wrote about this exhaustively, and all the data supports this. That, that Cubs team in the past two years could not adapt. They knew the issues. They could not find solutions to fix those issues. So the quote Justin Stone said was, quote, if it takes forever to get to full speed, exit velocity is a moot point, end quote. So there's a YouTube video of, of his technology, of his methods, of where you try to quickly get your bat up to top speed, minimize your bat path, minimize your high effort, whatever, right? And these examples can be similar to what we've seen from many Cubs players. Javi Baez is one that stands out. 2015, 2016, massive changes. 2017, 2018, even more massive changes where Javi was killing the baseball in 2014, 2015, killing the baseball. The problem was his swing was so high effort, so reckless to some degree that he couldn't maximize that type of high exit velocity. So Javi, over the past two years, has quieted down his approach with even with Chili Davis, has gone to a more upright approach, limited the hand movement, and he looks like a completely different guy. So what if you take those types of individual training regimes and you apply them to David Bodie, you apply them to Ian Happ, all these guys, now their capacity for exit velocity becomes reached because they fix some of those glaring holes. I'm excited about it. And it's hard to get a full understanding of what actually is going to happen on a ground level. But what we know is Stone has years of experience doing this. Two, he's worked with Theo Epstein in a consultant type role for two seasons now. And three, he's already working, man. He's already working with prospects. He's working with some of the most talented international free agents in the Dominican Republic as we talk right now, Corey. And I think that has to get you excited. Well, it certainly sounds like you're excited. I'm excited, man. Uh, yeah. Let's go. Let's well, go. And, and and he he talked. I, I'm I I can't find it. I'm not sure if it was on Twitter or in one of these press releases. But he he's talked as well. I, I've seen Justin about creating that language and and the, those processes that permeate not just the major league level but every single level. And like you said, he's in the Dominican working with those guys now. And that was something that you've talked about over the course of this season and especially as this offseason began of yeah. of really needing to develop that organizational language that goes yeah. from the absolute bottom to the absolute top so that when you have a 17-year-old in the Dominican that is a member of the Chicago Cubs organization to a guy in Iowa to like you said David Bodie they're all operating on the same wavelength they approach hitting or pitching or whatever it is in the exact same way because that is how the Cubs do things. And so that was something that just in in my reading of the Justin Stone hire and, and this whole thing was was pretty exciting because that's something that we've talked about, about wanting them to, you know, maybe develop a better philosophy on that and and have guys coming up where you're seeing them play that same type of baseball and do those same things that you want to be happening at the major league level. So it's good to see that the Cubs have made some of these moves. Uh, you know, again, like until we sort of see the results and see what's happening with the different departments and things like that, it's 
hard to know exactly how to feel about it, right? But again, I'm encouraged that there is at least change coming. There, There's guys bringing in new ideas, new philosophies. Uh, I, I know Justin Stone was working with, uh, what was it, an EMG machine on, on Twitter even, the yeah, other day. I don't know what these things are. Yeah, yeah like, I, and I don't know what it is, but I'm like, hey, let's do it. Like, there's bring, bring in whatever you want. Like, let's talk biomechanics. Looks like, let's uh, do, looks like garage band audio. I don't yeah, even know what those like, let's, let's like. do all of this. Like, let's figure yeah. all this out and we can, you know, break it down afterwards. But it's uh, interesting, and and you know among these changes, like you've had Jason McLeod moved off of you know his previous position. You have Jerron Madison who is uh, being switched to like a, a different role, and those are, are two guys who have been pretty integral in in this Cubs organization and in, in, in playing big roles. And they're kind of shifting where their focus is going to be, shifting where their authority is going to be. So uh, again, like we're not seeing like a, a max mass exodus of members of this Cubs front office, uh, but we are seeing some pretty significant changes and some pretty significant movement from some of these guys. I, you know, still, again, like I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't have to mention him by name every time, but like, I don't think the Cubs advanced scouting is very good, and I haven't heard much of a change in that. Um, and, you know, again, like I, I don't, I, 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 sort of it comes off somewhat in jest but I, I mean it I don't think that the Cubs are good at that and it's a little weird that that's one of the areas uh, that hasn't necessarily been addressed but the offseason is young so we'll see what happens here and obviously you know maybe once you get the manager in the fold you continue to make changes and, and structure things in a certain way but it, it's good that the Cubs have, have started this process and they're they're giving some different guys a chance to shine and, and take on different roles and, and hopefully bring that input that brings the change that you're hoping for. Yeah, and there's other guys too who stand out, like Craig Breslow, for example, the new pitching director, someone who we've seen as fans play one of those you know quirky-looking left-handed relievers for so many years, but Breslow's a Yale graduate, has graduate degrees uh, or graduate education in molecular biophysics, some biochemistry, clearly a smart guy, right? Like even during his days with the twins, you can read some of those Minnesota articles where they describe him as the smartest guy in the room. You know, he's talking about spin rate, talking about all these new stack has metrics that we are not familiar with. He was talking about this four or five years ago and trying to find ways to maximize his performance and others' performance based on this new accessibility to data. So with all this new accessibility of data in 2019, 2020, you have to think what actually is that consisting of. And my, my first instinct when you hear about Craig Breslow, you think about Tommy Hadovy, two guys who have similar track records, both played baseball, played baseball under Theo Epstein, have an incredibly intuitive approach to pitching. And I wonder what those two guys are going to do as a team. Both are under 40 years old, too. I, I, I do like that. Some young blood in there. And I'm excited about that as well. The, the Cubs, their, their pitching infrastructure, it's not a secret. You know, guys, even within Major League Baseball or organized baseball in general, know the Cubs are not ahead of anyone in, in this regard. It's they're the middle of the pack to, to below most teams. You know, the pitch lab is a good start, but it goes beyond the pitch lab in Mesa. You need a uniformed language like Justin Stone is talking about from the ground up all the way to Major League Baseball. The pitch lab is one part of that. It's a tool to 
implement this new type of language. So I, I'm, I'm more excited to see what Breslow is going to bring to fix those issues. I, of course, I want to see what Stone's going to do, and I'm interested to see how you can get some of the, the mid-level prospects to churn out, but there's no secret here. The Cubs need to develop pitching. Their financial restrictions are completely driven by their lack of of pitching development, spending so much on bullpens over the past three years, spending on the rotation, having to pick up Cole Hamill's $20 million option because Tyler Chatwood's $13 million deal did not work out. Like those cannot happen anymore. Like time's up when it comes to those types of failures. So Breslow's impact, I think, and I hope is going to be more immediate than Justin Stone. Maybe you have to get the infrastructure up for both of these uh, two pitching and hitting development systems, but I hope like from, from day one, like I want to see someone from double AA, A, triple A get a shot because he changed something as a result immediately by Craig Breslow. I, I, I don't know if that's gonna happen. You know, we don't really know too much about all of these ground uh, work, but I'm confident the Cubs are identifying their flaws. They're making drastic sweeping changes. And Breslow represents one guy that is smart, innovative, a history of innovation, a history of playing experience that does make me excited. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I, I think, you know, again, at the, at the very least, there's going to be different people with the opportunity to have some influence here or bigger influence, which I, I think is key. It's it's not necessarily, even if some of these guys were in the organization before, it's not just going to be the same voices at the same levels making decisions and and providing that input. It's Stuff is shifting around. So uh, I think that's good. And hopefully the results uh, bear that out. But again, you know, that's kind of one of those things you have to see. Like you have to see when those changes start to yeah. take I mean, place. Like on paper, like you read this and like, oh yeah, this sounds so good and everything. Right. But it's we, like, get, we, we got to see. Yeah. I mean, we got to see get generalities too. It's like, you know, we don't exactly know what they're doing. We just get generalities. But, right. you know, it of sounds course. good at least. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, Theo just makes all the decisions and none of this matters. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a matter of moving people around. But... With that, uh, I think the only other thing that I, I wanted to to note here on this particular episode of the Cubs Related Podcast is that on Monday, we did get word that the cover athlete for MLB The Show, which is the main Major League Baseball video game at this current juncture in the world, the cover athlete will be, uh, you, you guys might know this guy, he goes by El Mago, uh, number nine, yeah, Javier well. Baez. And whether you play video games or not, whether you care about this at all or not, I I, I wanted to bring it up just because it's one of those, like, moments where you just have to pause and think of how far we've come with Javi as a player and the fact that he has gone from a 
can't-miss prospect to a guy that has some pretty significant flaws, can he overcome them, etc., to the NLCS MVP, to taking over the world at the World Baseball Classic, and, you know, now he's the cover athlete on the, the official Major League Baseball video game. It's just quite a journey that, that he has been on, and we, we say this all the time, and I don't think we'll ever stop saying this, but it really couldn't be happening to a better person and a more deserving person. And I, I think Brendan and I, and I know a lot of you, always think of Javi's background and, you know, his, his playing for his sister and everything that has gone into his career and life. And these are just those little accolades. Uh, and Javi on Twitter today called it a dream of his to be a cover athlete and to, to be on a video game like this. And it's just awesome. That, that's it. That, that, that's all I have. It's awesome that this happens for Javi Baez. Uh, and it's just very cool to continue to see the the rise of El Mago and, and what he's able to do. I, I say this line all the time, but it is literally Javi Baez's world, and we are just lucky enough to inhabit it. Yeah, whether or not you you consider this a significant deal, like this is a big deal for Javi Baez. One, he he lives for baseball, man. I mean, there's a there's always this video that you know even I mentioned when the Cubs, I believe they won the division, maybe the NLDS in 2016, and Javi's dancing around and he pauses. And he's like, I don't dance. I just play baseball. Like, like this is his life. It's always been his life. So for him to Get on a video game, yeah, like on the surface, you know, big deal, whatever. But for Javi, this is like, yo, I, I, I made it. This is, this is all of my dreams to be recognized as the most exciting, one of the best players in Major League Baseball. That's what this game represents, and so it's, it's cool. And, you know, I've been playing MLB The Show since it first came out in 2006. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at it, Corey. I gotta say, I have a pretty good eye. Um, so it's, it, it's cool. I unfortunately they put on the walking bear jersey on him i'm not going to go into detail about this but like come on guys like why why that jersey they have the blue alternate walking bear at wrigley field and gray pants on there i mean come on go with the traditional blue pinstripes the traditional logo let's let's not fool with things here but that's my only negative to the cover everything else they, they nailed it finally marketing baseball the way it needs to be marketing with hobby buys the generation's most exciting player in baseball. Uh, yes, Brendan, I have a question. First of all, how dare you? <laughs> you come on our podcast and yeah, deride careful there. Careful. the Walking yeah. Bear logo and the Cubs alternate inf- blue jersey. It's inferior. It's I, an inferior. It's an inferior. This is just score. a direct attack at me. That's all. Uh, yeah, it's it just weird to do it on air. Like you know, now we just have to deal with this. It's out there. The walking bear. Is that bear? your favorite jersey? Though, hold on. Is no. that your favorite jersey? No. Okay. No. At least it's not your favorite jersey, though. It's not. But the walking oh. bear logo is fantastic, and I like the blue jerseys. I'm not. It's not my I favorite like uniform. The, I like the color blue. It's just the logo sucks, Corey. It's the, oh. it's the most inferior logo out of every logo they've ever had in their like hundred year history. Well. I know I said we would come back and talk about the Cubs manager, but this is going to be the last episode of the podcast. I, I, I just don't know if we can overcome this. Is this I don't how know we, uh, if we start can... our solo careers yeah, over yeah, here? Yeah, this is, is like this our Simon point? and Garfunkel breakup moment. This is I, it. I, I just don't know if we can bridge this gap. I, I think there there might just be too much uh, of a lack of empathy here on this particular topic for us to continue forward. Um, and it, it's been interesting, too, you know, uh, that— 
we, we were talking about this on Twitter earlier with a lot of our wonderful cohorts from Cubs Twitter and some really strong opinions on, on both ways, which I, I really wasn't expecting. Like, I, and maybe it's just because we are in the off season and like the Cubs had the season that they did that maybe people can just like sink their teeth into things like this a little bit more. But I just wasn't expecting the vitriol that was being thrown around, uh, both at me and in my defense of, of the no, walking. This is a very serious and, topic, man. It's a very uniform. serious topic. Like, it, apparently it is yeah i mean truthfully truthfully you can do better than that logo like deep down inside you you know that Corey. like do you like do you like the angry bear more or like the the walking bear the angry staring bear is what i'm talking about from the Probably from the, the what? angry bear i like the walk that's bear. what i, I just, that's what I, I that's like, what i mean by I like that the way that's what i mean i like by the that. vibe i like wondering where is he walking to you know like things like that uh i i just it's like so, it so I, I just i didn't realize there logo. was such a hatred for it it's not a hatred. It's more of like it why. It sounds like it's, a hatred from you. It's a I gotta genuine, be honest with you. It's a genuine question of why they are still using that uniform when you have so many other better choices, objectively better choices, from like an artistic point of view. Like, let's go ask Nick Castellanos what he likes, right? Like, I guarantee you, he does not want those blue alternates being worn. I'm, wow. I'm just I mean, just wow. I mean, just so many I'm assumptions being made. I mean, you're putting words in his mouth now. I mean, now Nick Castellanos hates the tell. blue alternate uniform. I mean, no, who knew? I can, I can tell. I can tell just by looking at him. He knows. He knows, Corey. That walking bear does not work. We all know. Well, I, I mean, You eventually then will come around to it. I, I suppose, Brendan, and this is rather petty of me, but if you'll uh, afford me the opportunity, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it makes me kind of happy that you have to live with the rest of your life watching and knowing that the Chicago Cubs won the World Series <laughs> in that uniform. Well, I got alternate I'm gonna, blues I, I, with the yeah, walking yeah, yeah, bear yeah, yeah. logo strapped across the chest. That's of Mike fine. Montgomery That's as fine. he throws the pitch. Chris Bryant as he fielded that beautiful Cubs blue, just waving in the wind. That walking bear, I like so the stoic color. I, I have no and legendary. Color. All right, all right. I will say one one last thing. One last thing here. John Lester Corey never wears the alternative blues when he starts. He he wore them in relief in that series. Type in John Lester, you will not see any, any alternative blue uniforms. He always requests a gray uniforms. I will leave it at that. If he does it not like his uniforms. before, but you are correct no, that he does no, not. No, 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 no. You know I'm right here. At least 90% of the time, I, I he know, does not wear I know, but I'm just saying uniforms. it's not 100% of the time. You told people to go look for the image. They can find the image. Are you looking at it right now? I don't see any. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. If John Lester has a problem with these jerseys, I don't understand why you wouldn't have the same problem. Like, do you own a? You don't even own a John Lester gray jersey. That's that's your problem. You need to go out there and fix that. You have the the the, the disgusting alternative the, blue one. The gray. Yes. Eh, I'm not big on the gray. But John Lester is. This is this is a this is a very interesting debate right now. Like, how do you disagree with John Lester's taste? Well, I mean, I I don't think we have to be in lockstep on everything, do we? I mean, I, I you know, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I do own a blue alternate walking bear John Lester 34 jersey that has a World Series champions patch but that's on it. Different. And I'm pretty that's content different. with that decision. I got to be because honest with he, you. Because he, he wore that to win the World Series. I have the, I have the same jersey. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not afraid to admit it. I have the same jersey, but I only have it because it represents game seven. If it were a gray jersey, I would have gotten the gray jersey as well. I'm not like, I don't, 
this like okay, I kind of do despise his jersey. I'm not going to say yeah, I hate uh, yeah. It. I mean, you keep saying I don't hate it, but it really sounds like you hate it. They just can okay. Last word here. They can do better. Simple as that. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to leave off. I think we really covered uh, a good range of issues here tonight, which I think is always a good way to have a podcast. We we talked about one of the most important nights in our life. We talked about the most important decision, perhaps, or one of them, that the Cubs are facing at the moment, not that they will face this offseason, but, but at the moment. Uh, and we also talked about fashion. So, you, you know, you kind of cover all the spectrums here. Uh, you can decide which is the most important to you, the Cubs winning the pennant, the Cubs hiring a new manager, or what clothes they're wearing while they're doing all of this. It's really up to you, but that's what we're hoping to bring is a wide range of perspectives and issues. And really, any any three of these debates, you probably could have rolled your eyes and said, what's wrong with these two guys? Uh, <laughs> dealer's choice. You pick. I don't know. Um, but that's where we are. So again, uh, while we're still dealing with the World Series and waiting for the Cubs to actually do stuff, the plan is to come back to you on Tuesday again uh, and break things down wherever we are. And if they hire a manager before that, whenever they hire a manager, we will get on the horn with you and we will break it down immediately. Uh, and then we will keep you up to date after that because as we get you know, near where the World Series should be ending here shortly. Things should start to pick up in the off season, and we will keep you guys uh, aware of the schedule we're going to be operating on. I think as free agency and trades, et cetera, it's certainly more likely that we'll get back to that two episodes a week schedule sooner rather than later. But uh, as I always say, like we want to make sure we're giving you guys a worthwhile listen, not just us rambling. Though, if you really like that fashion segment, we can do more of that. Uh, you know, if, if, if that. you guys want that, we certainly can, but we just don't want to be wasting anybody's time. Uh, so that's the deal with that. But other than that, I, I don't think we have anything else to discuss. So as always, keep an eye on what's going on with the Cubs and their managerial hunt. Uh, enjoy the World Series uh, for me, and I assume, Brendan, I, I think we're both pretty firmly in hoping that the Nationals just get this one done. I find them yep. pretty inoffensive, and I owe them a lot of debt for getting rid of the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So uh, I would be more than happy for them to win the World Series because as far as a Cubs fan is concerned, they've certainly earned it. So uh, all yes. the power to them and, of course, Davey Martinez. Uh, I think that would be really wonderful. And then we wouldn't have another team in this era getting to two World Series championships before the Chicago Cubs because this era is should and will belong to Theo Epstein's Chicago Cubs when it's all said and done. But again, other than that, we will talk to you guys uh, either next Tuesday morning or if the Cubs hire a manager somehow, we'll talk about that as well, uh, and we'll get on before that. But as always, we thank you guys for listening, especially as the Cubs are not playing any baseball. We very much appreciate your guys' support and tuning into a podcast about a baseball team that is currently not playing any games. So that means a lot to us. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you guys soon. As always, go Cubs. Ready to get back to work this summer? Start a great job at UPS right away. Drive for UPS in your own car or enjoy active work keeping packages moving in the warehouse as a UPSer in Dulles. Earn $21 per hour as a driver, $14 per hour in the warehouse. 
Apply today to be a warehouse worker or personal vehicle driver at UPS. Search and apply now at upsjobs.com slash summer. That's upsjobs.com slash summer. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.